Tom and Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T and your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Lou and your T-Lo, Lorenzo. Hello. How are you doing, lovely husband? Wonderful. It's been a crazy week, but... It's always a crazy week. I know, you say I know. that every week. <laughs> Every week during the podcast, I say, how you doing? It's been a crazy week. Well, the thing is that Fridays are always crazy because we add the podcast to the whole schedule and it just, yeah. And it's um, drag race and yeah, yeah, it's it's always, I mean, it's terrible. You guys don't care, but that's no. (laughs) So why don't we skip the complaining about our job part, which we love our job. And how else is your week going? But it's been nice. It's been sunny and I've been walking around um, and uh, yeah, just wearing a mask again and you know just yeah it's been it's been crazy um and a lot of yeah conversations going on in terms of the uh go go with it the i delta, know what you want to say you know go. variant and delta dawn yeah and, and all the stuff going on at the moment it's just it feels like we're back in march 2020 in a way obviously not the same but i feel mm-hmm. here's how i feel can i talk i yeah, mean please. i know you brought it up but I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, and we we went over this a bit in a um, um, newsletter this week that we finally managed to publish one after almost a month away. Sorry, kittens, but thank you for your patience. But anyway, a newsletter. we talked about this in the newsletter. We talked about this a, a bit beforehand, and unlike March 2020, well, first off, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't make that comparison, because for, first off, I think it's it leads to, it sounds panic-stricken, and it's not necessarily true. We are not looking at the same level of pandemic spread. I agree. And widespread death that followed March of 2020. Secondly, uh, I'm saying this because after we wrote that newsletter this week and we talked it out, I feel like the difference, one of the differences for me between March 2020 and now, aside from all the obvious external differences, is that I do feel like whatever whatever tiny, tiny, tiny little platform that we have built for ourselves, we should be responsible with how we utilize it. And I I don't think we were ever irresponsible. No, but never. this time, I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with urging people to get vaccinated. Like, mm-hmm. if you're listening and you haven't been vaccinated, then you have fears or conspiracy. Or I don't, you know what? I don't even care. But literally just go call your doctor and talk to them about it. Because I feel like if I don't make this push at least a few times using the platforms that we have, and you know... I've been very clear about us staying out of our lane as mm-hmm. fashion bloggers and right. culture critics. So but this is different. I'm not, uh, this will not become a feature on our site and or even on our podcast. But since it came up, I am feeling like we did a tweet the other day where we begged people to go out and get their vaccinations. And um, part of the reason for that newsletter was to talk about why we're, we're, we're masking up again, although not to the... Um, you know, not to the panicked extent we did in 2020, because we are vaccinated and we don't, we are not at much risk of serious illness. Um, right. And I do feel that people have different experiences. I, I'm, I'm speaking from my experience, which was we were inside this apartment forever, not going anywhere, not meeting anyone. And then finally, we got vaccinated. We felt, you know, we had some hope that we were going to go out and do things. And we did some. And it does feel like we're Going back to sort of like being cautious again. I'm not saying panic, but cautious. I'm just wearing... Like, go uh, ahead. I, 
I went to have my beard uh, trimmed today. Uh, I have it professionally done once a week, and uh, and in you know in the past weeks I I just went there and I you know it was easy. But now today going today, it, all those thoughts were in my head again, and I'm like, all right, oh, are we doing this? Um, and he wore a mask, um, and uh, and, a, and a shield and all that, you know. So I was like, all right, this, this is okay. But I hate being in that position where I have to be overcautious again. Uh, I agree, but I also, I mean, you and I are largely on the same page, but you are on a more cautious paragraph than I am. Um, like we're both in agreement that we need to mask up inside from now, from now and probably until the end of the year. And we never actually stopped. I mean, only in Vegas, we kind of like didn't wear a mask. Uh, Yeah, let me just finish. But we are not in agreement on everything because I think you still want to wear your mask outside. Uh, The thing is that here's the thing. Masks really annoy me. They do. And I shouldn't even say that on a podcast. But my point is that they're uncomfortable because we're not, we don't wear them all day. I mean, I know some people, you know, they get out of their houses and they wear a mask all day at work and all that. We're privileged enough that we don't have to. Yes, we're very lucky that we don't have to wear one. So when I wear one, it's always uncomfortable. I mean, and uh, so when I go out, I usually go do something like go to, uh, you know, a drugstore or CVS or whatever, uh, go to a supermarket. So I, and I wear a mask when I go to these places. So I hate putting it on and then taking it off and putting it on again and taking it off again. So I rather just have it the whole time. That's why when I walk on the street, because we walk a lot, we usually walk to places. I don't feel like taking it off and then walking and then putting back on. Fair. Uh, that's my explanation for that. You don't have to explain yourself. I'm just noting that we're, you know, we are on slightly. No, but I do feel the responsibility to explain because I have a position and I want people to understand what my position is sure. when it comes to that. Absolutely. My, uh, uh, and as we noted in our newsletter this week, a lot of the rhetoric surrounding the unvaccinated is so angry. And we're as guilty of it as anyone. You can scroll through our social media and, and we were I like, am angry. I'm not the unva- But I also feel like we're reaching a point where um, it's not going to be helpful. Um, I think there's always going to be conspiracy-minded people or anti, you know, big med people who are just not going to, anti-vaxxers, hardcore anti-vaxxers are not going to be convinced on this. But I also feel that there are a lot of people who don't fall under that and are just um, getting a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it that no one is doing enough to reach out to those people and educate them instead of calling them idiots. Right. I do think your tweet was awesome. And that's one thing I love about you is that you are more rational and more passionate than I am, more compassionate than I am. Um, uh, yes, that is the I truth. I think I'm more articulate in my, because I, I write, but I don't think I'm more compassionate than you are. I think you are in a way because... He used to I, call me Mother Teresa. Yes, sometimes I do. You haven't done that in years, so. But anyway, you. I read your tweet, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's amazing! I could never do that." <laughs> and this is why I do all the writing, in uh, case that, you were no, wondering. But because I'm like, I could never do that. It's so my funny. Mom. Everyone thinks Lorenzo is the sweet one. He's so sweet. I am Tom, sweet. You should oh let Lorenzo speak. Where well, you bitches have no <laughs> freaking clue. Every family member or oh friend God. who listens to this podcast, you're all nodding your head right now because you all know. You oh know what I'm talking God. about. Anyway, uh, uh. 
my point is that I, I actually, that that's probably something I need to learn. When I read your tweet, I was like, you know, maybe I need to be more, uh, I don't know, more patient with these stupid people out it, there. <laughs> for me, it's real politic. It's not about forgiving people or being kind or, or, or accepting Jesus into my life. It's That's not what it's about. It's about what actually gets results. And we, I feel, looking at the lay of the land, the people who were all inclined to get their vaccinations have done so. Mm-hmm. What we have to do now is look at the pool of people who haven't and try and pick off the ones that might, that might be talked into it. And those are the ones that are confused or they have some weird partisan, you know, Mm -hmm. reason for not getting it or they've heard stuff on Facebook. Those are the ones you might be able to reach instead of the hardcore partisans and the hardcore conspiracy theorists and the ones who are marching on capitals, you know, to to protest mask ordinance. Those people aren't going to be reached, but I know we know people in our lives. Oh my God, yes. Without going into details. Yeah, I do not want to go there. <laughs> who haven't gotten it yet and think they have good reasons for not doing so, but they, you know, to those people, I'm just saying, I get that you have concerns. No one should accept everything blindly when it's coming down, you know, when that kind of pressure is coming down on you, but... This stuff is easily researched. You can talk to a doctor and they are almost entirely right. in agreement that you should get it. And it, it's very difficult when you have family members that, you know, who do not want to, you know, proceed with the vaccination. I mean, I'm, I, it, it, it's complicated. Or friends or even friends. Uh, it, it's complicated. So I guess we need to be more patient. Uh, that's my point here. Uh, I and, think it's the only thing that works. Right. At this stage, the only thing, it, it, it's the only thing that's going to work with the people that might be convinced. And I do feel like we can we can scratch out another 10 or 15 percent of the population getting vaccinated uh, if we just um, slow down on calling them all crazy right. conspiracy theorists, QAnon, you know, whatever. Right. Well, the good news is that things are so bad that the, even the people against the vaccine are actually now saying that it's probably OK to... <laughs> There's a little bit of that. You're starting to see a little bit of rhetoric on Fox and on the right. But, I mean, I wouldn't hold out for that. But that's better than nothing. Um, My big fear is, taking this back to the shallow, is... I, we just got red carpets back. We just had a great Cannes Film Festival, the best one in years, because everyone was so excited to be on the red carpet again. We're supposed to get them a... a, um, sort of off-season Met Gala in this coming September, which is only like two months away. Please don't fuck this up, world. Like, don't take away my red carpets and my premieres and my Met Galas because that that. is our bread and butter. And we, God damn, did we work to try and keep the wheels turning when there were none happening. And not just us. It's 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 money for every industry out there. Right, restaurants. Yes, everything. Everybody. Uh, Everybody making money. Fine. Yeah, I mean the schools now. What what's going to happen? So it 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 gets very complicated, and that's why I get so frustrated when I hear these people you know, talking about not getting vaccinated. It, it, it's hard to be patient and, and listen to them and try to, uh, you know. But it's not hard listening to me talk about our Bomba socks. No. It's never hard to listen to me talk about our Bomba socks because we love our Bomba socks. We really it's do. It's literally the only socks I have anymore in my drawer Pretty is much, yeah. Bomba socks. Lots of things can make your workouts hard. Extra resistance, double speed, one more mile. Your socks shouldn't, though. That's why Bomba's performance socks are built to be nothing but comfortable and supportive. Bomba's performance socks have taken all the amazing innovations that make Bomba's the most comfortable socks you've ever worn 
turn and added their special hex tech performance technology. Bombas performance socks are stitched with special moisture wicking yarn and temperature regulating vents that allow cool air to flow in and prevent Overheating. They come with a pillow like tab to save you from blisters, stay up technology, a special arch hugging system, which is actually my favorite part of yes. their socks, and an extra layer of cushiony comfort on the bottom for the perfect amount of support. They come in different styles for every sport with specific design features to help you optimize performance and keep you comfortable no matter what you're doing. I work out every single day in my Bomba socks. Every single day. Love it. Yeah. Um, and like all their socks, for every pair of Bombas performance socks you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. They've donated over 45 million pairs so far. So go to bombas.com slash T-L-O today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O for 20% off. Um, they're perfect. In my in my opinion, they're perfect because they combine design with comfort. They're designed to be comfortable. They're just fun-looking socks. Fit well, yes. And and usually you get one or the other. Exactly. Uh, you don't get both combined. Good design and good yes, aesthetics. and they do both. So, um, yes, thank you, Bombas. Now, moving on. Uh, so don't take away my Met Gala. We already did that. <laughs> um, let's do uh, Celebrity Gossip. Um, Prince Harry. Yeah. It's time to uh, for us to weigh in. When it was um, announced this week on, on social media, all the it, where we see all our news um, now, it came out on Twitter. Or that's where I first saw it. That Prince Harry's uh, writing a memoir, right? And I immediately composed a tweet, and then thought, "Oh no, I don't need this shit show in my life," and deleted the no, tweet that's immediately. That's why I don't tweet before I go to bed anymore, because when you get up the next day, there's like it's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I we have a sort of a reputation amongst uh, royal watchers for being both Sussex haters and. Sussex, I don't know, suck-ups. I forget. I think they call them sugars. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, we, uh, Depending on who you ask, if you go to various you know, threads of discussion, our name will come up and people either hate us for, for being mean to Meghan and Harry or for um, sucking up to Meghan and Harry. So there's never a middle... Because when it comes to the royals, the rhetoric has just gone completely crazy. I talked about this at least two years ago on this podcast about how... Um, you know, online social media trolls will latch onto anything with a slightly cultural or social or racial undertone and immediately become as divisive as possible on it. And when Megan married into the royal family, there were just, you know, mm -hmm. troll farms that went to work on that because they knew they could stir up a lot of anger over her. And you know what? I was right. But having said that, Harry has signed with... um Penguin Random Penguin, House, actually. <laughs> which hey, I'm happy for Penguin Random House because it means we might get more money on our on our next advance because they are our publisher. Um, I'm not going to badmouth anyone for. Of course, this book is going to. I mean, I literally am happy for Penguin Random gonna House. That's seller. It's going to be a huge bestseller. Yeah, but. Um, First of all, his statement was, I'm writing this not as the prince I was born, but as the man I have become. Mm. I've worn many hats over the years, both literally and figuratively, and my hope is that in telling my story, the highs and lows, the mistakes, the lessons learned, I can help show that no matter where we come from, we have more in common than we think. Oh. Okay, let's just go right up. This is full bullshit. Oh. Top to bottom, Harry, that is the biggest pile of bullshit I ever heard in my life. No one's going to buy this book to to see what life lessons the you know f the son of the future king of England has to say, what they want is dirt. 
they're going to buy that book because they want to hear what he has to say about growing up and Diana's funeral and yeah. all the other bullshit. Yeah. It's going to be about the dirt. You yeah, can talk the, about, but you are not some sort of yeah. moral leader that people look now, to for life lessons. If you want to be true, are you going to talk about the Nazi costume? Are you going to talk about... I'm get, sure he will. Are you going to talk about getting being naked and being photographed in Vegas? Are I'm you going to sh- talk about these things? I Actually, I have no doubt those things will really? come up. The, first off, those mm. things will help sell the book. Harry's true. inside story about the Nazi costume. And he'll... He'll express regret. I actually think he does have regret for that. I'm sure he does, yes. Um, I'm not going to take him to task for that. Just this idea. And I will say, you know, it should be noted that um, all the proceeds from the book and the audiobook are going to charity. He's not getting rich off this. But he's already rich, so what the fuck difference does that make? <laughs> no, I, whatever. But, I mean, a lot of the criticism that gets leveled at Harry and Meghan post-royal life is that they're just snatching up money left and right. And there is something to be said of that. But in this case, he will not be making money off the book. Um, so I don't know. I go. I, I talk to you. Talk. Um, he's just becoming what he wanted to be, which is a, a celebrity. A celebrity. Uh, she was already a celebrity, so you know. I mean, Megan has been Megan from the beginning. Right. I don't think she was anything is, else. I just want to jump in here, and that's a good point. Is that I really wish the Megan haters would understand, I understand that yeah. most of this is him. Yeah. He is driving so much of this. She did not convince him to leave royal life and, and live in California. He, was, he fucking wanted he this. He said that several times. He's, he, he was, he's obsessed with the United States. He's obsessed with international life and, and life out there. Outside. So is his mother. He, yes. So he's doing what he wants to do, which is great. Whatever. Right. But, make that money. But I'm not surprised that he's, he's going to be on the red carpet all the time. He's going to be at talk shows or whatever promoting his book. He's going to do all that. Um, and just go well, right embrace that. Um, it's funny because part of me is like my first impulse when I read stuff like this. And it was the same thing when he did that um, special on mental health with Oprah, mm-hmm. where I just I cringed a little. And I was like, this is so unseemly because which is silly, because since when do I give a shit whether royal people are you know living up to the standards of right. royalty? But there is something a little creepy and embarrassing about it like royals don't write memoirs unless they're completely never returning to royal life and on the i mean i guess we should all take this as a signal that they really aren't coming back ever i don't think so um i thought they would after the queen died um and maybe the jury's still out on that it depends on how well fences get mended with his father because it really won't do well for the king of england's own son and grandson grandchildren Mm -hmm. to have fled the country uh i think they want him i think i I, there's clearly a huge rip between he and his brother and his father um but i think they all understand that he can't be on the outside of that family forever that's just not going to be good for the long-term prospects of the family he's too he's not some junior royal like it's really easy for Harry to do all this right now, but once his father is king, right. it all becomes a lot more difficult, which may be why he and Meghan are just tearing through all of these offers right now, because they know on some level they might be restricted later just, on. Yeah, when it's all out of his system, you know, just... I yeah, know. I'm trying to look at it in all ways, Um but I do, I, my ultimate thing is this is tacky and unnecessary. Uh, the only reason people are going to buy this book is they're going to want Diana dirt. Not that he would dish dirt on his mother, but he he would he would give his own, you know, personal, uh, you know, reflections on his mother, possibly on his parents' marriage. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be dirt about how Megan was treated. 
Plus, like you said, of course he's going to address the Nazi stuff, and I'm sure he's going to address the girlfriends that he had and all that stuff, having to walk behind his mother, all of it, all of it. The big ticket Harry events are all going to be covered. It's mm-hmm. going to make a shit ton of money. Yeah. And I don't understand the point to it. I just, I, this whole idea about, I mean, telling my story, the hot, the mis- le- mistakes and the lessons I've learned, the lessons you've learned are applicable to you as the son of the King of England. They are not applicable to anybody else's life. You had a singular life. You were born into international fame. Your parents had the most infamous bad marriage of the ni- of the 20th century. And then your mother was one of the most tragic deaths of the late, like we, it, there's nothing about your life that is relatable and I think it's damn silly to position yourself as as this, of all things. You're right. going to teach people about mental health and the lessons you've learned. And I'm like, you're a freaking prince. I, Be a I, prince. I always find that fascinating that celebrities uh, can't say no to things. Um, I guess that's why we're not millionaires, because we say that's no. That's why we're not millionaires. Because we said no to a bunch of things. Uh, but I, I don't understand. It has. It goes back to attention-seeking. It has to be. It's a huge it part of it. It has to be. It can't be just money, because you see all these celebrities with a ton, a ton of money. Right. But they still, you know, endorse fucking tomato sauce, you know? <laughs> I know. Um, one time I mentioned about Harry being um, addicted to attention on Twitter, and I ha- we had days of ha- Meghan and Harry trolls, you know, just right. f- coming down on us like a ton of bricks. Um, and I think it's ridiculous to, I think we've talked about this before on this podcast, it's ridiculous to assume that someone in that life, again, he was born into international fame. He was world famous within hours of his birth, Right. And never stopped being world famous his entire life. Every major high and low of his life played out in front of hundreds of millions of people. The idea that he isn't addicted to attention is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You I, can't, I can't even entertain that. Yeah, I, I was never, uh, no, I, I mean, we cover them on our site, the royal family. But no, I, I do not admire those people. I have no... Yeah, whatever about no, them. I mean, there's um, a, I think there's I mean, a certain fascination. You, right, but I'm into fashion and maybe, and that's why we cover them, in my opinion, because I like to see what they're wearing, blah, blah, blah. But I have no admiration whatsoever. Like, no, I do not. No. I don't put any of them on a pedestal. No, I, I don't. Think. And after I watched The Crown, I know it's a show, but with The with Crown, I was like, wow, you are wealthy, obnoxious. <laughs> Self-absorbed people who contribute nothing. Yes, you have a ton of servants. You live in those gigantic palaces, and you bitch and moan about everything. No, no. It's true. Um, But again, we've said this before. I have no um, personal fascination with that family, except to note that I think their roles make them into weird, twisted people that are Mm -hmm. fascinated to watch. Like, the queen is just... She's a fascinating figure. I think on a personal level, she's probably not very bright or very interesting to talk to. I, but just the, the the length of her life, the amount of things she was exposed to, and the, the things that she was asked to do and then did mm-hmm. are also... They just produced this figure that I can't help but be fascinated by. And then to be somewhat fascinated by how all of that becomes twisted and results in these fucked up family members like mm. Charles and William and even to a certain extent Harry. 
add all of add a add a fashion component to that. And yes, it's a very easy thing for us to cover on our site. It's right. It's very easy to opine on these things and to talk about them. And look, right now we're talking about him on our podcast. So I can't say that there's no interest there on our parts, but it's not a. It's more in a in a slightly critical light, I think, without being overly critical. They are who they are. Mm-hmm. I've often been tried to dance around criticizing the institution of the monarchy too much because um, I'm not British. I'm not English. Right. I don't. This has nothing to do with this. Me. Is a, a very interesting topic to me, at least. I'd love to have conversations with some people there in England and and and, and ask them like, how is? Well, it? our niece's husband is uh, English, yeah, and yeah. he can't stand them. He but can't stand I them at all. I would love to have conversations with them. And what is it like? You know, right? Uh, yeah, like how do you feel? Right. And we've known a lot of uh, um, people from Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK for most of our, uh, I've known them most of my life and you most of your adult Mm -hmm. life. And they don't give a shit about the royal family at all. They just don't. They don't think about it. If you bring it up, they kind of roll their eyes. Oh, I think there are English. It's mostly like, and that's partly why um, uh, everything's become so partisan is because the people who are most supporting the royal family, the Kate and the William people, are um, English nationalists. So there's a certain white supremacy undertone. Not, and I'm not saying that anybody who loves the royals is a white supremacist. I'm saying it's been latched onto by a Brexit crowd and by a British nationalist crowd. Um, so yes, there are English people who are very, very into the royal family. Not a lot of, you know, Scottish, Welsh, or Northern mm-hmm. Irish people. They're just, you know, subjects but they don't i i my understanding is they don't tend to revere them the way a certain right. strain of english culture but my reveres question them. would be more like how do you feel worshiping a family that aside from being royal they're just like in any ordinary i don't think they're ordinary at all they're so family. bizarre they're a I bunch know, of but aliens they're, but they're just like any other family with money but they're royal so i don't even think that's how true the, when does the switch when you switch that and you know into like all right just ordinary not ordinary it's just like rich people as opposed to royal rich the difference between family. royal people and rich people is that royal people have if you're talking about working royals if i'm not talking about like right, the right, royals right. of greece or whatever um or the, you know the royal family of italy but um if you're talking about working royals there's, there's a light there is a lifetime of service there there mm-hmm. is i mean we can look at it and go that it's not like any of them were digging ditches or saving lives and most of them don't work all that hard but when you get to the upper tier royal like okay anne and charles and queen elizabeth and prince philip they that was a freaking lifetime of service yeah like, they show up for things they're mm, i know i'm not here to defend this <laughs> They show up, but you know damn well there's more than that to it. Uh, You know, there's to know they serve as figureheads. They're not. Yes, I serve as figureheads. Anyway, let's stop talking about that. I'm tired of it. I would love to have a conversation with a couple of of, uh, British people to to act into. I think culture informed, intelligent people who could give me a good explanation how they feel about the whole thing. And now we're switching off to the world of fashion as it intersects with the world of sport because today was the opening ceremony of the Tokyo Olympic Games. And as we noted on Twitter, every four years, there's a tradition of everyone complaining about the Ralph Lauren hideosities that get put on the athletes. Ralph Lauren has been providing the Olympic uniforms, the Olympic um, like ceremonial uniforms, Mm -hmm. I guess you call them. 
uh, since 2008. Is that correct? Yeah, since 2008, uh, yeah. He's been, he was sort of given the the royal stamp or whatever, and he's been representing America now. And I hate it. Everybody I know hates it. I don't know anybody who looks. Every single time the Olympics has rolled around since 2008, they come out in those freaking Thurston mm-hmm. Howells, you know, Thurston Howell third yachting outfits. Right. And... Every time, people are like, why are they wearing those shitty outfits? Now, I will grant you that Olympic opening ceremony fashion is not high fashion. It tends to be very nationalistic. It tends to be flag-based in a lot of ways. And uh, at least with the Western countries, it tends to be very traditional. It's like men's suiting, and sometimes Mm -hmm. the women athletes are even wearing skirts. So this isn't just an American thing, but when we... uh, when when the uh, ceremony opened this morning and we were looking at, well, what are we going to talk about today on the podcast? I was like, can we please talk about why these fucking things are so ugly? Why, why are our athletes wearing these things? And I sent Lorenzo off because every time, hold on, every time there's a fashion uh, discussion, I am happy to turn the mics over to Lorenzo so you can listen to his lovely voice. Lorenzo, go. Stop interrupting me, but go. Yes, I do want to talk about the, uh, a little bit about the history, which I find fascinating. Uh, First of all, as of course, as you probably, you know, uh, presumed, um, they were the athletes wore whatever they wanted, like their own clothes in the beginning, and then all of a sudden decided to the, uh, Olympic committee decided to partner with the brand and that's how the whole thing started. It's it's fascinating because uh, it started pretty much with 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 the Halston. You know, Halston did the uh, the uniforms back in 1976 and it's 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 interesting because it does influence the I was reading all this stuff about how the Halston collection kind of influenced the uh, the uh, fashion in general in the United States because back then people didn't wear gym clothes all the time, like out on the street like we do now. So they kind of like influenced the fashion. And then I didn't know that, but then right after Halston, um, actually, yeah, right after Halston, then Levi's was designing the uh, the uniforms, which I find kind oh, wow. of interesting. Yeah, and then, uh, and I was looking at pictures and some of the uniforms were hilarious. They wore cowboy, ha- cowboy hats and, and sheepskin uh, jackets and all these cowboy looks. And I, and I thought it was interesting. And, and according to what I read, the athletes actually loved it. They thought it was cool to dress like that. Here's uh, the problem in, for, as far as I see in terms of these uh, American, these sorts of American ceremonial sporting outfits, so to speak, they tend to focus on um, Americana and this, it's just this very 20th century version of Americana where it's mm-hmm. either rich guys on yachts or it's cowboys. And the through line here, which shouldn't be hard to see, is it's white America. It is specifically white male America that is being celebrated in these uniforms. And that's why they feel so dated now, because there is nothing about it. I mean, the preppy yacht look was popular 35 years ago when Ralph Lauren was a much younger man in, in his heyday. But there's a there's a reason why that really has never become as popular again. It's because the 20th century was the like the dying gasp of or white cultural hegemony. It really was the dying gasp of white people deciding what America looks like, what America's symbolism is. So we're still the reason I hate these these things is well I hate preppy clothes to begin with. I hate that they're so old-fashioned looking that they look like the designs of an old man. 
Um, and I hate that they are so white in tone. All right, I'm sorry, go. It's interesting because um, after Levi's uh, designed the the uniforms um, in the 90s, early uh, 20s, it was actually JCPenney and Tommy Hilfiger, again, designers. But then Reebok and all these... It got company. a little sportier yes, for a while yes. there, which is interesting, and I think that's the that's that's how it should be. Um, and and it's funny because the whole thing with Ralph Lauren is that they basically signed a partnership with the U.S. Olympic uh, Committee, and 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 it's been them Ralph Lauren since two thousand eight, which is crazy. I mean, it, it it it's a long time, and the whole idea behind signing um, Ralph Lauren is because the uh, committee thought that the looks were getting way too sporty. And which is they, so stupid. Which is so stupid, yes. And they wanted to create a more polished, more uh, more polished looks that evoked uh, sort of like wealth and prestige and all the Ralph Lauren whiteness. <laughs> the people who are serve on the committees that decide these sort right. of things, and it's the same sort of thing with like figure skating and women's gymnastics. The people that sit on these committees that decide these uniforms are generally very traditional in their thinking and they want to promote a very upper class form of sport. So um, I've talked before about, and people don't like it when you talk about this, but I've always had a problem with female figure skating and female gymnastics uniforms because they emphasize femininity and sexuality in a way that no male uniform, not right. even male figures. Sk- I mean, some male figure skaters get into the really, really tight butt hugging mm-hmm. pants and the plunging necklines, but male figure skaters aren't penalized for not, for not dressing that way. Mm-hmm. And female figure skaters are often penalized if their outfits are, and it's been the same in tennis for female tennis players. Right. This idea that female um, female athletes should be wearing sparkles and skirts and 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 addressing their own femininity and their and displaying their bodies in ways that male athletes are not meant to. That's a side argument, but it all comes out of that same idea, that same extremely conservative mindset that makes these sorts of decisions and has all of these twenty five year old athletes walking out looking like, Wealthy, sixty-year-old yeah. white men, yeah. and you know, a large, at least half of them probably aren't white on the American team. So I, I just, I always feel really uncomfortable when you see black American athletes dressed up in these white preppy yachting outfits, right? right. Because I'm like, they would not be allowed in the clubs, right. the country clubs that support this aesthetic. It's just, it's gross. And when we were talking this morning, I said, we should come up with names for who should get it. And my first one that came up, like what designers should be doing. Look, I'm not wishing Ralph Lauren death or anything, but he's 81 years old and the Olympics should be celebrating youthfulness Mm -hmm. and athleticism. And a man that age simply has no... He's not in touch with that at all. Right. He owns a hundred cars. I just found out this morning. He's oh, just, God. yeah, he's just incredibly wealthy. Has been such for fifty years now. He's not doing anything mm-hmm. new. And I understand that an eighty-one-year-old man, he's probably a figurehead at Ralph Lauren. It's not like he's sketching these things, but he is still the person in charge. He's still the person that everybody's working towards. There's a reason, like, say, Carolina Herrera's label and Oscar de, Laurent- Oscar de La Renta's labels changed after the, they, he mm-hmm. either died or she stepped down. Because when they're still showing up in work every day, whether they're sketching or not, everyone's working towards that person's aesthetic because their name is on the door. Right. And the whole thing, uh, hiding, I mean, hiring um, Ralph Lauren, is, it was because the, the community wanted uh, a brand that 
sort of like they they thought Ralph Lauren represented America. It was rooted in in, yeah, in Americana. Yeah, eighty five. Right, exactly. Maybe it worked in two thousand eight. Not even so. But anyway, uh, not certainly not anymore. Um, and I and I and I get it. Uh, you want to go with something American, but there are other American there versions. Are black American yeah, designers, right, right? So why not give it to somebody else? Um, and you know, or a more as we talked, a more uh, a, a brand that is more represents better the whole idea of uh, of athletes and and sports and everything like Nordica, for example. Sorry. <clears throat> Um, why not a company like that? Something, I don't know. You mean Nautica? Nautica, yes. Or- yeah, I mean, that was <clears throat> one that I threw out was Nautica. Um, but, I, and I actually really like Nautica. They have sort of updated their mm-hmm. yachting uh, um, aesthetic so that it doesn't look so upper class and it doesn't look so uh, t- 20th century. But even that would not be my first choice because, again, you're probably uh, highlighting a very mm-hmm. white. Right sort of aesthetic. I'm not saying it has to be a black aesthetic or it has to be a black designer, but I would love the energy of someone like, um, you know, Pyre Moss. Right. Um, what is the name? Kirby Jean Raymond or Jean Kirby Raymond? Um, is that his name? I don't remember. Kirby Jean Raymond. Yes. A Pyre Moss. Uh, or Christopher John Rogers, although they are both more um, uh, formal wear oriented, but I think they could bring a lot of energy to something mm-hmm. like the Olympics. I feel like, or even a designer like Brandon Maxwell, who is very youthfully oriented in his designs. Or not? A, why not a woman? Oh, you know. why not a woman? Why not yeah. a ton of different female? Like, name one. Well, Gabriella Hurst, for example. She's there. Great. You go. Uh, There's so many, uh, so many incredible designers right now. Um, and just do it. Right. I wouldn't, I don't even care if they hand it over to Nike, like, or Adidas or somebody like that, because they can do some interesting things too. I just feel like this, this ridiculous yachting, it is almost an embarrassment to me. Like, like as an American, it's like embarrassing that we're presenting this ridiculously outmoded image of ourselves. It's been doing this for so long that even I obsessed with fashion when when they announced the new uniform i don't even bother looking at it because it's usually the same thing right um over and over again yeah it's just i hate it if you if you haven't you know if you had to read between my lines i don't think i was being subtle here i hate the aesthetic very much probably because i went to prep school in the 80s and all those fucking assholes dressed like that um but even so it just looks very dated i don't think it has anything to do with the america of 2021 or the people who are wearing those outfits, the people who are generally all under 40 and not white country club members right. that are wearing those outfits and representing the country. I don't think it represents sports in general. No. Uh, it, it's, it's all these... It represents money. Money, exactly. Uh, um, how American, you know, that we would present such a classist and arguably racist image to the world instead of something that represents who we truly are. And you can be more innovative, like with, with a fit, with a cut, you know, just do something different. Right. Um, play with the colors. I, I agree. It has to be the colors, uh, you know, the flag. But does it? I think in general, it usually is. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, you can play with the colors. Yeah. You, know? you can play with everything pretty much and, and design something more fresh and, you know, Modern. Uh, agreed. Do you have anything else you want to add to this week's podcast? No. Aside from fire Ralph Lauren, please. <laughs> and let's get away from I this. Know. When you think about it, my God. 20th century country club. It's like, what, 13 years? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add? No. 
I think that's it. All right, then, kittens. That's it for us this week. Until next week, when we come back with whatever crosses our eyes and crosses our desks, take care of yourselves. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.